This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Hello and welcome back for another episode of PSG Talking. My name is Ed, and it's been a busy week here at, uh, at PSG Talk. We've been covering all of the action going on with Paris Saint-Germain. We had that sideline altercation between Mbappe and Tuchel. We had the injury to Neymar, and of course, the Champions League is coming up. And so to break everything down, we have our friend and PSG and League On correspondent for ESPN, Jonathan Johnson. Jonathan, how's it going? Yeah, good, thanks, man. And yourself? Doing well. Glad to have you back on the show. Uh, as I mentioned, we have a lot to talk about, so let's just jump right into it. And I want to talk about the, the situation that everyone is talking about. It made all of the headlines. Mbappe versus Tuchel. What is your sense of that situation? Um, for anyone who was living under a rock and didn't see it, in the 68th minute against Montpellier, uh, Tuchel brought off Mbappe. I believe it was for Mario Cardi. Um, and Mbappe stormed off Tuchel tried to stop him they put her hands on each other and Mbappe stormed up the bench and, and sat in his seat and just kind of looked like a, a petulant child there just kind of fuming at being taken off and so what I want to ask you is what is your sense of that situation is it a case of an over competitive player or is there real animosity between the player and the manager uh, and do you see this being an issue in the locker room with some of Mbappe's teammates Angel Di Maria has said that he's got to show respect to some of his teammates who are waiting to play as well and I guess ultimately do you see this spilling over into the Champions League and being an issue so I'll open it up to you all right going in at the deep end a lot to yeah. uh, sink our team into uh, I mean first and foremost answering the the opening part of your question uh, I definitely do think that there is an element of having an over competitive player in all of this I mean I think we have to cast our minds back to uh, last season when, when Mbappe ran Lionel Messi so close with the golden shoe, uh, I think he fancies, particularly in, because PSG is set up to, to better accommodate him and help him succeed this season, you know, I think he wants to sort of replicate that and you know, perhaps go one better and, and be the top scorer in Europe, uh, you know, which I think is, is completely normal. But I think something else that adds a bit more pressure and a, a, you know, a, a bit more sort of uh, gives, gives Mbappe a bit more motivation to be extra competitive is the fact that you know, we've got to bear in mind that it's something that I've spoken about in previous episodes when we've spoken uh, that Mbappe is kind of making up for lost time a little bit this season in as much as, you know, he missed the best part of two months through injury, uh, you know, and, and was sort of raring to go and, uh, you know, it took a while for, for his season to finally get underway uh, a couple of months after the PSGs had actually kicked off. So, you know, I think that feeds into all of this. But, you know, is there some, uh, you know, sort of, beef between between Tuchel and Mbappe I mean I, you know I definitely think that there is something there Tuchel's relationship is obviously not as strong with Mbappe as it is with Neymar I'm not saying it's a completely weak relationship uh, I just uh, you know I, I just think that you know Tuchel made it very clear when he arrived at PSG uh, that Neymar was going to be his star man and as long as Neymar stays with PSG uh, you know he's the guy that the PSG will be will be built around despite you know, how close Neymar came to, to leaving last summer, uh, you know, that still remains the case. Obviously, the situation uh, with certain players, uh, notably, uh, you know, Mbappe has, has changed over, you know, since Tuchel came in. Uh, you know, Mbappe is now a star within his own right. I mean, he already kind of was when, T when Tuchel arrived, but even more so now. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, kind of M Mbappe wants to be viewed in the same way that Neymar is, if not, 
uh, you know, sort of superior to Neymar in, in as much as the team gets built around him. Uh, you know, so I do think that feeds into into things uh, a little bit, but also at the same time, uh, you know, uh, you know, we've got to give our backing to to Tuchel because at the end of the day, uh, you know, and what he's said since this incident uh, went down is completely correct. You know, he is the coach. It's never it's never something that people want to do. Uh, you know, being the guy that decides who comes off, who comes on. Uh, you know, but I think you know, and a lot of people have said this while while trying to analyze the the situation. PSG had already won the game. There was nothing else really to be gained uh, apart from, you know, perhaps one goal. Uh, you know, if PSG went on a late tear in the match and got a few opportunities. As it turned out, they didn't. You know, the scoring was pretty much done, or I think it, it, it even was done at that point because it was 5 0 when he came off. Uh, and, you know, there was nothing else really to gain. The only thing that could have potentially happened or was most likely to have happened before the end of that match was, you know, him picking up an injury or something. Uh, you know, perhaps a perhaps a card or a, a suspension of some kind. So I think it was Tuchel being smart, trying to you know basically look after some of his best and most informed players. Because notably, when you look at it, uh, especially con- considering that that he picked up an injury in the first half, uh, Tuchel said now that you know Neymar was injured at half time and knew it, but yet allowed Neymar to to play the majority of the the rest of the game. Uh, you know, he, he chose to take off Sarabia, who is PSG's other most informed player at this moment in time. So Sarabia and Mbappe both made way at the same time. Uh, you know, and according to, to reports close to the meeting that, that went down on Sunday, the day after the match, uh, you know, Mbappe admitted that he might have overreacted a little bit. Uh, you know, and I think, I think he did. I think, you know, he needs to look back. Uh, on this, and Roberto Martinez was saying it when he was on TF1, TFL's uh, Telefoot over the weekend, that at the end of the season, Mbappe will look back on moments like that and thank Tuchel, because at the end of the day, what Tuchel was trying to do, uh, you know, was trying to wrap him in cotton wool and make sure that he's available for uh, the up, the upcoming matches, and obviously Mbappe starts the next match where not. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, I think that Mbappe does have to be a little more mindful regarding how things are with him and his his teammates in the dressing room. You know, I think Di Maria has a point. You know, at the end of the day, it is all about uh, the squad, uh, you know, a group of players, not just uh, one or two individuals. I mean, Tuchel said uh, after the Montpellier match that he was very sad that nobody was really focusing on the the performance put in by PSG. They were just focusing on two players, Mbappe and Neymar. Uh, and you know, I think he, I think he's right. You know, that sort of incident just gives people reason to talk, you know, without really, you know, sort of needing it because Mbappe should see the logic in Tuchel bringing him off, uh, you know, and also should be happy that some of his teammates are, are, are getting, uh, you know, opportunities to build up their fitness and form as well. Because at the end of the day, you know, he's not going to be able to single-handedly lead PSG to success on all fronts this season. Neither is Neymar. Everybody needs, uh, you know, all the others as as, as much as uh, those other players need their need their star men like Neymar and Mbappe. So, you know, everyone is in this together and and should be approaching every match. Uh, you know, thinking of the collective instead of the individual. Had the match been tighter, you know, say one 0 to PSG or two one or something, and you know Montpellier was still playing with eleven men, that you know. Mbappe's frustration might have felt a bit more understandable, but to me, uh, you know, when he came off, it just smacked of somebody who was looking at the remainder of the match, thinking, "Well, I could get a couple more goals here," and you know, I think that was a little bit selfish for me. To play a little bit of devil devil's advocate, I don't know if Tuchel is, or if you know, 
the way Tuchel approached it, he knows that Mbappe doesn't like being taken off. And so he was the one that kind of stepped in front of him and like stopped him and tried to explain what was going on. And I thought that he kind of invited controversy. He should have just let Mbappe go off to the bench and sulk and do whatever he wanted to do. But by like putting his hands on his shoulders and kind of trying to talk to him, I thought he just invited the cameras to focus in on that moment and create a bigger story than what may have been. And I also think Mbappe does have a point. There was a statistic, I believe it was in Lakeep, where they had, um, it showed that Mbappe is taken off by far more than any of the other stars and earlier as well. Um, why is that? If Neymar was in fact injured at halftime, why wasn't Neymar the one to come off? Why was it Mbappe? And you see the way that Tuchel talks about Di Maria, for example, but then he'll say, oh, Mbappe has a lot to learn. He's young, you know, blah, blah, blah. It, it does seem like Tuchel is kind of elevating some of the other stars a little bit more and trying to keep Mbappe like a little bit more level-headed and trying to show him like, hey, I'm the boss, young kid. You know, you're going to have to listen to me. Do you get a sense of that at all? Yeah, uh, yeah, I do. You know, I think you're right. You know, I think Tuchel did invite controversy to a certain extent by trying to to confront Mbappe as he made his way off the pitch. You know, that was that was obviously asking for trouble. I I think he was well within his rights to feel irritated by Mbappe's uh, reaction, uh, but also at the same time, Mbappe's frustration, you know, shouldn't be completely viewed negatively as well. You know, at the end of the day, he's a guy who's in you know, some of the best form of his career so far and just wants to wants to keep playing, uh, you know, at every possible opportunity. The Neymar injury is a, is a funny one. I mean, I guess, you know, we'll get our answer on Sunday if he's available to play against Lyon or not. Uh, you know, but if, if Mbappe, uh, sorry, if Neymar was feeling, uh, you know, like he'd, he'd taken a bit of a heavy knock to the ribs, uh, at half as early as half time against Montpellier, he should have, uh, you know, he should have come off because at the end of the day, Neymar is as vital to, to PSG's hopes uh, this season as as Mbappe is. So, you know, I definitely think that there is uh, an element of Tuchel trying to sort of balance out, uh, you know, this this sort of star power at PSG, where, you know, he doesn't want the light always being shone on Neymar and Mbappe, and you know, is very very keen to see the likes of uh, Di Maria receive uh, as many of the plaudits, if not more, uh, than, than some of the others because of, you know, the, the big role that he plays sort of in the, in the shadows, so to speak. Um, but, you know, I, it, it, Tuchel was right at the end of the day. It was just, it was so unnecessary. And even if he did play a part uh, in that, you know, I think that, you know, Mbappe didn't need to, you know, didn't need to react that way. Uh, and you know this could have, you know this could have been, this could have gone without, uh, you know, incident. Uh, but unfortunately, here we are, nearly a week later, you know, still talking about it and still uh, analysing the fallout, even though another match has been played since then. Yeah, it seems like after the match, you know, cameras are always focused in. Does Mbappe embrace Tuchel, and that their interactions are going to just be under the microscope more than ever. Uh, you mentioned Neymar. We want to talk about his injury, which I don't have a medical degree, so I can't pronounce whatever it is that he has. But apparently, he's got something wrong with the cartilage in his rib cage uh, from when he was uh, fouled against uh, Montpellier. So, what is the game plan? You mentioned Leon. I, I think he Neymar is back in training today. I think I saw. Do you think that he'll play against Leon? And what is the management you think with him? Do you think he'll play against Dijon? Do you think he'll play against Leon? I mean, they got a few games before they play Dortmund, which is obviously the match where you want Neymar. But do you think he'll play in every game that he's available leading up to that match, or you see some kind of load management um, Tuchel will take with Neymar? 
I mean, I think the the smart thing to do is, I mean, obviously, first of all, assess how how bad the rib injury is. I mean, is it something that could potentially hang around for a couple of weeks? Because if it is, then you need him to absolutely recover from it. Uh, you know, so it's not you know a weakness that opponents can target in the in the coming weeks, particularly with Dortmund just around the corner. Uh, with regards to sort of how he's managed in the in the upcoming games. I mean, we've seen PSG playing some matches on some absolutely terrible pitches so far this year. Uh, and, you know, I the only place where PSG can guarantee that the pitch is going to be to their liking uh, and, and not a problem for any of the players is when they play at Parc des Princes. So it wouldn't surprise me to see PSG go absolutely full force uh, against Lyon, as, as they should, because it's a big, uh, a big Ligue 1 uh, crunch match. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after that, you know, against the likes of Dijon, I think that's when Tuchel could perhaps... Look at it, uh, and, and and you know perhaps give give Neymar uh, and, and other key players a, a bit of a rest. I mean Dijon, okay, uh, you know they're they're not the easiest team to to play against, as PSG already found out this season uh, away from home. But also at the same time, uh, you know PSG have enjoyed so much success in the Coupe de France over the last couple of seasons. It's they really don't need to jeopardize. Uh, you know the, the the key the key games that are coming in the in the next couple of weeks. Uh, you know, for the sake of going absolutely full strength uh, against Dijon. I mean, the, the other thing that Tuchel could do is he could name the strongest squad as possible, but he doesn't actually have to put the likes of, of Neymar and Mbappe in the starting lineup for a game against uh, against Dijon. Uh, you know, he could give others a, a bit of a chance. You know, Cavani is crying out for minutes. Uh, you know, he could he could be somebody who you know could play a, a key role against uh, a team like Dijon, uh, and then bring Mbappe and Neymar on towards the end. So you know, keep them fresh, keep them hot, uh, but don't necessarily make them play the uh, you know the majority of a match. Uh, you know, on a on a on a pitch that could potentially be problematic. That's that's how I would approach it. Whether or not that's how Tuchel approaches it, we'll have to wait and see. But if he doesn't play against Lyon, then you'd have to think that he's going to have to feature again sometime. Uh, before the Dortmund match, and uh, you know Dijon will be the the first opportunity after uh, the Lyon clash. So uh, you know, I, I guess it all depends on his availability uh, this weekend and how severe that rib problem really is. Yeah, Tuchel is very much the anti-Jurgen Klopp in these cup matches, where you would think that he would rotate the squad and play maybe Kawasi or Alshish. Instead, he plays Icardi and Di Maria. Um, it, it's kind of incredible that he still puts out these strong sides against teams that he should be able to beat and rotate his, his team and um whereas you know Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool played like 12 year olds against Shrewsbury so um it's interesting that he chooses to go that route um wanted to ask you also ask you about some off-season moves so we've got several players that are coming up out of contract I think we can all assume that Edinson Cavani is going to be Leaving the club, he's out of contract. Uh, Tiago Silva, though, is a player who wants the contract extension, but given his age, I don't know if you do that. It, it, just thinking about the players who are coming up at the end of their contract or maybe even some players who haven't signed a professional contract with the club, uh, I want to get your thought on who do you think PSG should keep? Maybe Mounier? Um, we'll open up to you. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. I mean, the main players uh, with regards to, to contracts extending, uh, at the, uh, sorry, contracts expiring at the end of the season are, as you mentioned, Cavani, Silva, and Mounier. Uh, you know, I think it's a foregone conclusion that we'll be saying goodbye to the likes of Chupo Moting, 
Uh, obviously, him being left out of the Champions League squad is another indicator that you know he's not really uh, you know thought of with very much high regard uh, with regards to to being played in the in these important matches. Um, with Cavani, I think it's it, it's past the the point of no return. You know, I don't think we're going to be seeing him signing a contract extension. It's just a question of sort of where where he ends up going. And when that gets announced, uh, because Atletico Madrid seems to have put their foot in it a bit with uh, some of the stuff that was said by the president since the move collapsed. Uh, with Silver, it's very, very interesting. I mean, obviously, he's in very good form this season. Uh, remains PSG's captain. Uh, is an influential figure in the team. It's just very, very risky when you're trying to assess somebody who is of, of an age like, uh, like Silver as to how much longer this sort of evergreen form can go on for. I mean, PSG had it a few years ago with Maxwell, where people just kept thinking, assuming that Maxwell's level would drop off, and it you know, never really did. You know, he was you know, very close to being 40 by the time he ended up calling it a day. Uh, and, and some of the performances he was still putting in at that point were, you know, it was, he was so consistent. He saw off challenges from a number of, uh, you know, pretenders for that starting left-back role. Uh, and, you know, PSG at this moment in time, I think, with regards to the central defensive position, uh, have, a, have a few questions uh, to be asking themselves. Uh, you know, is Marquinhos going to be a midfielder or a defender moving forward? Because if he's going to be a midfielder, then that immediately leaves a big, big potential gap in defence. If you think that Silva might leave and then Marquinhos is no longer going to be a defender, uh, that would leave basically Kimpembe and, and Diallo as the, the two starting centre-backs. And if Marquinhos is going to stay as a central defender, uh, then you've got, you know, if we're talking about a, a back four with two central defenders, that's him and Kimpembe with Diallo, uh, either at left-back or, you know, uh, behind them on the bench. Then there's the question of Kruessi. You know, is, is Kruessi going to be thought of as a midfielder moving forward or a defender? Because we've seen him play in both positions, um, you know, in the last in the last few weeks and months. Uh, and, you know, if Silva does move on, uh, although he would free up a lot uh, of space on the wage bill, as would Cavani, as would Munier, uh, are PSG going to be able to strengthen, um, you know, and, and get someone of similar quality in uh, for less money? Or are they going to have to pay big in order to get uh, the players that, that Leonardo would have in mind? Uh, in the event that, that someone like Silva was to, to, to make his exit. So I think there's a lot to consider. Part of me wonders if Leonardo is just trying to push Silva for as long as possible this season, A, to test his desire to really stay at PSG, and um, B, to see how long this form goes. You know, if he, if he ends up, say, being a saviour in, in both matches against Dortmund as PSG advanced to the quarterfinals of the Champions League, it's very difficult not to imagine that there would be massive clamour for PSG to, to, to open talks with him. I mean, we've seen Silva's agent already come out and say he's not going to go and beg Leonardo for an opportunity uh, to sit down and chat about the, the future. Um, but then when you look at, I mean, look at the, the, the figures that came out in L'Equipe, I mean, I, okay, it's only estimates, but for Silva to be sort of that high up in terms of, uh, you know, wages, Cavani to be there as well. Was it 1.5 million euro per month, I think it was? estimated for, yeah. for someone. I think it's around 1.3, 1.4 for Cavani. Uh, Basically, it's the best part of 3 million euros a month uh, without taxes um, that, that PSG would be saving on if both were to leave uh, this summer. So, I mean, it depends on how Leonardo thinks about the future, you know, what sort of ideas he has in mind. Uh, you know, but obviously as well, there's the, you know, the elephant is the, in the room is, uh, you know, Thomas Tuchel's future. I mean, a lot of people seem to be Think, assuming that he's going to be staying for the foreseeable future because he signed a new contract 
uh, towards the end of last season. But you know, Leonardo wasn't the sporting director at that point. It wasn't his choice to, uh, you know, to sign off on that. It's something that PSG had already done before he came back. I still believe that Leonardo will want somebody. He will, though he will want his own man. In uh, so, barring uh, you know a massively successful end of season, um, I don't think that uh, Thomas Tuchel will be PSG coach next season. I'm not saying I know who will be at this moment in time because I don't think it's something that PSG uh, you know are are actively looking to to sort out. But I'm convinced that this coming summer, Leonardo's first full summer back in the in in the saddle, uh, could be one of massive change. And that doesn't necessarily just mean the players. You know, I think it could be Leonardo shaping uh, the club in terms of the the staff as well. And you know, he might bring in a, a motivated candidate. You know, somebody who uh, will want to you know make massive changes to the way that the the, the team is staffed. Uh, and, and and also fill certain positions with different kinds of players. Uh, you know that might be why PSG seems to be caught in two minds at the moment about what they do with somebody like Munier. Munier, who could be quite attractive to the right type of coach, uh, but hasn't really convinced Tuchel at this moment in time. So, uh, you know, I think there 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 are pros and cons to trying to keep players like Silva and Munier. But for me, I mean, particularly with Silva. Um, you know, if he's as committed to PSG as he says he is publicly and his agent says he is, then okay, that's great. I think that's something PSG could use. But I think that moving forward, it's going to be very difficult for him to maintain this kind of form. So I think if PSG are to keep him on, uh, I think that it would be reasonable to expect that there would be a, a fairly significant uh, cut in pay. And if that's something that Silva is not willing to, to countenance, then you know, PSG could be using that, that money elsewhere. Yeah, and Silva did become a French citizen recently, didn't he, as well? That kind of bodes well for him potentially wanting to stay and hopefully get a deal done. And I also think that if, there, if there's one player in Ligue 1 that, that uh, maybe PSG could look to is uh, Vittorino uh, Hilton at Montpellier. He's 42 years old, so hey, maybe maybe Silva's got seven more years left in his legs, potentially. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, I'll have to wait and see. I mean, he's, he's one of those players, I and mean, there's a number of them. You know, Di Maria talking about wanting to finish his career in Argentina. Cavani's always said he wants to go back to Uruguay before he finishes playing. Silva as well has said that he wants to go back to Brazil, uh, you know, and would like to before the end of his career. So, you know, whether or not this is just him trying to squeeze sort of one or two more years out of his European adventure before, you know, calling it a day and going back home, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but it's... You know, I, I can see the logic to, to having somebody like Silver around. I just think that once players get to this kind of age, uh, there are there is no guarantee that the form will continue. Uh, and also, uh, you know, it's been a relatively you know injury free stretch for for Silver over these past couple of seasons. Uh, you know, and you wonder sort of you know another year on. It's a bit like the situation with PSG that they found themselves in with, uh, with with Cavani, where he started picking up a lot of these muscular injuries, and it became quite obvious that physically he was in decline, and and you know PSG, uh, you know weren't weren't able to to call on him half as often as, uh, as as they had been in the past. So you know that's that's the risk that PSG are potentially running uh, if they do uh, extend Silva's contract, and that's why I think Leonardo is going to. Uh, make him sweat on it a little bit more. But if the the calls become so loud that it's impossible for him to ignore, then, you know, I think he may well end up, um, you know, sitting down at the negotiating table. But 
you know, it's it's up to Silva to sort of prove it in the big matches that are coming up, particularly the double header against Dortmund. You know, that could be key in deciding his future. Absolutely. It's interesting Absolutely. you brought up the future of Tuchel. And he's kind of in an interesting situation where, you know, if Mbappe basically says, hey, look, I'll sign an extension, but he's got to go. I mean, what do you think the club's going to decide to do? I'm not saying Mbappe would ever do that, but if things are really that bad between the two, you know, Tuchel really doesn't have a leg to stand on, especially when, like you said, Leonardo didn't hire him. So, um, and I believe it was Unai Emery. Didn't he sign an extension before eventually being let go? I think you're thinking of Blanc. Oh, maybe that's what it was. Yeah. Okay. Had to spend so much to get rid of him was because the contract extension was was relatively recent. Uh, no, I mean with with that, uh, I you know it's a no-brainer. Obviously, if if PSG <clears throat> had to choose between Tuchel and Mbappe. They're going to they're going to prioritize Mbappe all day. Uh, you know the the other thing is you know Tuchel has been the subject of interest from Bayern Munich for quite a long time, and that job may well uh, well that job and a, a return to Germany may well appeal to to Tuchel. I mean, who knows? You know, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. He's he's always kept his cards very close to his chest regarding his future you know he like with like when he's asked about players futures if they're under contract he points to the fact that they're under contract he points to the fact that he's under contract uh, so never really gives anything away uh, as to whether he's sort of considering a, you know his future away from uh, PSG and you know ever since he's arrived members of his staff have been looked at by other clubs for, for sort of higher ranking roles so it, it's possible again at the end of this season uh, you know that his staff his, his staff unit may well be broken up by other interested clubs as well. Uh, you know, so perhaps it would be a, a, a natural break point for this, you know, the whole, the whole group to sort of disband and, uh, and go there, go their separate ways. I mean, we'll have to wait and see how the rest of the, the season pans out. But I mean, I think we can pretty much guarantee that Tuchel won't be coach of PSG next season if they are to fall against, uh, against Dortmund. But if the adventure continues beyond that, uh, you know, I think it's going to be quite a while before we, uh, before we know exactly what uh, Thomas Tuchel's future holds. Yeah, he may not be yeah. too upset about returning to Germany just because I know he's always complained about the late kickoff for the PSG matches, which I guess there is like 8, 9 o'clock a lot of times the games start. Um, and he's like, my, you know, my children can't even watch the game because they start too late and, and, and the players are traveling. So I think just the, the natural way that the French League is is something that he's kind of butted heads against. So um, we'll see. Yeah, sorry, go ahead journalist as well i mean you've got to think about like you know people who sort of make their living on what's uh, what's said like pre and post match and yeah. you know you get players milling around in the mix zone or you know still coming through the mix zone gone midnight sometimes uh, you know given the volume of matches that psg play at nine o'clock uh, or or even later sometimes because you get some kickoffs at 9:05 local time uh you know it is very it, it is very draining and i can i can sort of put myself in Tuchel's uh, situation there and, you know, sympathize with him a bit because, it, it you know, PSG do seem to play a lot of uh, late fixtures. You know, I find myself sort of heading home, uh, you know, sort of like gone midnight more often than not. And it's, uh, you know, it's not easy, especially when you, you know, have stuff, uh, you know, on very early the next day. And obviously that, you know, the players, they, they've got the worn down to think about and, you know, Tuchel has, you know, the next matches to plan. Uh, and that's why, you know, sort of brings me on to the, the the domestic cup situation this time of year is always an absolute nightmare and i don't know who came up with the scheduling for the coupe de la ligue and the coupe de france uh, i think the decision to get rid of the coupe de la ligue was was extreme 
Uh, and I think that just with a bit better thought and planning, uh, you know, surely France could have maintained two domestic cups, uh, but it just would have been less taxing than, uh, you know, this sort of suicidal schedule that uh, all French clubs involved in, in both domestic cups have to deal with at the beginning of each year. While we're taking a quick water break, we wanted to share a great podcast with you from the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Hello out there to be man, woman, and child. This is the B-Team. I'm Nathan Eberhardt. And I'm Michael Hanna. And together we host the UCLA B-Team podcast, your go-to audio source online for news, analysis, opinion, and sometimes even jokes about UCLA Bruins sports. We're proud to be members of the Big Heads Media Network, and you can find our newest episodes every week at bigheadsmedia.com, or you can subscribe via iTunes, Google, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, at UCLA B-Team, and hit us up with questions or comments. We love to interact with our listeners. So for a smart, level-headed, if sometimes it Unofficial. We cannot stress this enough. Unofficial. Take on the UCLA Bruins. Come join the B team. Switching gears slightly, this is kind of a fun topic. I know you got a few thoughts on it, so I wanted to open up. I saw this morning there was a report that I guess the the Dutch League and the Belgium League were thinking about combining leagues to, to essentially generate more tele, television revenue with the idea that they, they foresee a super league with maybe PSG, Real Madrid, Barcelona you know, name your big team Liverpool, about all those teams getting together and forming a Super League. So they thought maybe combining their leagues um, to just generate more television revenue for the clubs might be the way to go. And so I want to ask you is, you know, League On, they're kind of languishing in fifth place, best league in Europe. Um, PSG's dominated. They've won plenty of championships since the QSI came in. Should the French League consider something like joining another league or maybe bringing in another league combining or maybe just bringing in a couple teams um and and if you think that is something that should be done you know if you want to name any leagues or or teams that you'd like to see come in but if you're totally against it that's okay too but i just want to get your thoughts on that interesting topic i mean i think that this would be something that would be up for debate if the if the super league definitely became uh, you know, more of a, a realistic possibility. And obviously, uh, you know, if this, if, if that were to happen, we'd be talking about a French league without PSG because, uh, you know, you have to assume that PSG would be part of any potential Super League. Uh, I mean, it's it, it's very difficult to see sort of how, uh, you know, sort of a, a French-speaking league, uh, you know, so to speak, could, could sort of be boosted in the same way as like the, you know, the Belgium and the Netherlands could be. Uh, you know, because they essentially, you know, speak a, a, a similar common language, uh, which might make it easier for it to sort of be enlarged uh, as, as one. Whereas for France, it's, it's difficult to see where those other clubs uh, would come from. I mean, would they would they come from overseas? Are we talking about bringing them in from, you know, places like uh, Réunion? Uh, you know, so it's, it, it's essentially almost going to be like a, uh, you, know, a, you know, the, the Coupe de France, but over a couple of like different tiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't think we go as far afield as as Canada, and you know, look to bring in some of like the you know the the, the teams from uh, French speaking Canada. So it's it's hard to see sort of where um, you know the the other potential teams would come from uh, to to boost the league in in the event of a, a Super League breakaway. Um, I I think at the end of the day, when faced with looking at Ligue 1's relative. Uh, lack of strength compared to other European leagues. Uh, I, I've said this for a long, long time now. Uh, I feel that there are a lot of clubs in uh, in France who could invest better because none of them ever seem to be equipped well enough 
to go on a good run in Europe or to even compete uh, at times. Squad depth has always been a you know a very uh, a, a very difficult thing for for most clubs, the uh, PSG aside, to to find uh, you know. And sometimes when clubs are not focused on what's going on domestically, is when they enjoy their best success in Europe. You know, we saw that with uh, with Ren quite recently. So for me, I I think the best possible thing that could happen to the Ligue 1 is that a couple of clubs, uh, you know, start thinking more intelligently about the ways they spend their money. I mean, look at some of the figures that came out in their kid today. I mean, you look at two of two of Lyon's top five earners, Bertrand Traore and Yanga, Mapu Yanga and Biwa. I mean, how that happens is beyond me. Kevin Struman being Marseille's joint highest earner. It, uh, you know, somebody like Fabregas being one of Monaco's highest. I mean, okay, Monaco have had higher earners in the past with the likes of Falcao and Moutinho, but at least those guys could kind of justify being one of the the highest paid players in, in, in those Monaco sides of the past. Whereas now it seems like uh, French teams are being a bit dumber with the way that they spend their money. And, you know, if they were a little bit smarter, it would be possible for, for some of these French clubs to run PSG at least a little harder and also to compete better in Europe. I mean, cast our minds back a couple of seasons to, to, to the Lyon side that had a number of very, very good youth academy graduates in it, you know, the likes of Lacazette, the likes of Antiti, the likes of Toliso, uh, you know, and they were looking very capable of pushing PSG uh, in the title race up until the very, very end. And, you know, I believe had that, had that team been kept together a bit longer, they, they also might have been able to, to do something in Europe as well. So it's... Uh, you know, I think it's uh, it, it's down to the clubs to spend some of the money that they get better. Uh, but obviously, with the with the new TV deal kicking in very soon, they're going to get more money. So these clubs are going to be able to invest uh, a bit better. It's just up to them to you know to spend that money uh, in a in a smarter in a smarter manner. Yeah, I just think <laughs> French football just needs to be smarter in terms of their television deals. I think they need to be a little bit maybe think outside of the box you know you have a different product than the premier league and so you need to market it like that and try to maximize how much how many dollars you can get back coming into the league to filter down to the clubs they they don't feel like they have to sell these players perhaps before they're ready i mean how many players have we seen go on to the premier league and just kind of you know will join like watford or something and just kind of not really impress i mean is that really the best decision for them? It's purely a money move. Do they want to live in Watford? I don't. Maybe they do. I don't know. But you know, I just think if they were able to stay in France and go ahead. in Watford, having studied close to that, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've been to Watford. It's a. It's one of my Premier League teams that I like to root for. It just because I've been to the area. But you know what I'm saying, like. I don't think a lot of these players want to go to these, like Newcastle, for example, but they go for the money because there's so many dollars to be made there. Whereas if, if these French teams could pay them what they're worth, then maybe they would stay there and then overall the league would be better. So I just think it starts from the top. You have to get that revenue coming back in. I think it's a bit of a vicious circle though as well. I mean, players will be looking at the, the experience they have week in, week out playing for even for a, for a smaller club in the Premier League. You know, you can't guarantee the same level of attendances and atmosphere uh, in France as you can in the Premier League. Uh, you know, French fans are not going to turn out midweek for a, uh, a cup match when they know that they have a league match coming up on the weekend. It's just, it's not, it's not the same world in France as it is in England, for example, or Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I, I can understand why players would be more attracted to wanting to play in that sort of atmosphere because you can guarantee it uh, match in, match out. Uh, but also at the same time, you know, I think that if they were playing for a bigger French club, uh, you know, the stadium is pretty much full every match. 
and they're you know they're getting good chances and playing some good football in Europe as well as domestically, then they'd be more likely to stay if the club can uh, you know sort of offer them not the same money that the clubs from the Premier League are offering, but you know something similar. If they could compete a little more financially, I think we'd see some of the the bigger French clubs uh, you know being able to to hold on to that talent for a little longer. <clears throat> You know, talking about uh, English teams, it just brought up a topic that I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball. I just want to get your thoughts on Leeds. Uh, could QSI potentially buy them? Are you hearing much about that at all? Uh, there is interest uh, from QSI in buying Leeds. I think it's something that we could see happen in the future. I just think it's something that's not going to happen, you know, sort of overnight. It's uh, it's it's a work in progress. I mean, potentially, you know, possibly. Uh, Promotion to the to the Premier League will will either speed that up or or, or slow it down and kill it. It depends on uh, how the owner Radriazzani um, feels about it. But you know Leeds are definitely of interest to QSI, and there is uh, you know there have been talks in the past about the Qataris investing in Leeds and, and you know buying the club. Uh, so I guess the next the next couple of months will, uh, will will tell us more about that. But I'd be surprised to see any any sort of buyout happen between now and the end of the season, considering that Leeds, uh, you know, have uh, you know potential promotion and a massive financial windfall at stake uh, if they can get up to the Premier League. Yeah, that's what I was wondering if a deal would get done before qualification is confirmed, because obviously if you QSI, you could spend a lot less. But if they're you know, buying buying a championship team is probably cheaper than buying a Premier League team. So that's why I was wondering if the deal could ha- be accelerated before that actually happens. So, yeah, but, but then on the opposite side, uh, you know, what's the point of selling just before probable promotion? Uh, maybe that's how they that's that's yeah. how the current owners yeah. feel. Uh, what's the uh, saying? Uh, a bird in the hand is, <laughs> you know, they, they may say like, hey, we might be able to get a, a rich buyer to come in and maybe boost this team up. And so, I don't know. It'll be interesting. I know. Fans of Leeds will probably be looking forward to it. Like they did at the end of last season, you know, Bielsa burnout is a real thing. So <laughs> we will we will affect Leeds uh, this time around. Absolutely. <clears throat> All right. So our last topic, we want to get your thoughts on obviously Dortmund, February eighteenth. Let's assume everyone is healthy, which right now it seems like everyone. Marquinhos is on track. Bernard is on track. I think Dagba might be the only one that would be out for that. Is that right for that match? Yeah, so it, it sounds that way. Yeah, so assume everyone's healthy. Um, what is your ideal formation and your starting lineup? I mean, it's it, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think the the real focus, I mean, considering the way that Dortmund are playing at the moment, has to be on the defense. Can PSG align uh, a, a back four that's strong enough, or, or a back five, depending on how Tuchel wants to play it. Uh, strong enough to to stop Dortmund getting those chances and the the likes of Haaland's you know continuing uh, his ridiculous scoring streak. I mean something that I thought of towards the end of last year, and I, you know I wonder if it's ever something that really crosses um, Tuchel's mind, is to go with all of PSG's best defenders and by defenders I mean players you know who can actually defend. Uh, you know, and going with a solid back four. You know, we've we've seen Marquinhos play at right back before. We've seen Kerrer play at right back before. Uh, you know, you've got Diallo who can play on the left. Uh, you know, Kimpembe is left-footed as well. So you know, you could potentially line PSG up with uh, a, a centre back in each full-back position. Uh, and you know, we've seen 
PSG be very, very motivated away at Manchester United last uh, last season. You know, the tactical plan from Tuchel there worked brilliantly. Uh, and, you know, I think it's at, at this moment in time, and I, I don't, a lot of people were worried when, when Marquinhos got injured. I was actually kind of a little bit relieved as long as he it makes it back in time for the Dortmund match. Because he'd been running to the ground so much over the beginning of the season. Uh, you know, he needed a breather. And, you know, I think it was natural that he was going to, to fall apart at some point. I'm glad that he's been able to sort of rest and recuperate with enough time to give him a shot of being back for the Dortmund match because he he's so important. For me, I think he's a better bet in midfield at this, uh, at this moment in time. Even more so, so than Idrissa Gay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not anything against Gay in particular. I just think that Marquinhos at this moment in time, whenever I've watched him, seems to have almost forgotten what it's like to be playing as a central defender. Mm. It's, uh, I, I think it's, it's obviously it's something that he'll be able to get back. I just don't think it's something that you want to gamble with in a match as important as the opening leg against somebody like Dortmund. So I think put him where he seems to be most effective. And I think if you give him specific orders, uh, you know, to sort of cut off that supply line towards the likes of Haaland, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think he could be really effective in midfield and it would enable, you know, Verratti to create from deep. Um, you know, I'm not saying go go at it exactly the same way they went at the, the opening leg against Manchester United last season, but Tuchel needs to sort of tailor-make a, a, a tactical plan uh, you know, to to nullify the the, the threats posed by Dortmund, uh, you know, but also to uh, you know to to look to try and not necessarily hit them on the break, but to make every attack count. And that, for me, is why moving on to the attack, I feel that Pablo Sarabia has to play at this moment in time. I just think he's in such such good form. He's such a tricky customer for for opponents, uh, you know, that I, I don't see how Tuchel could leave him out of the starting eleven. But we've had this in the past where we've been debating the merits of, of including Angel Di Maria, and we've seen Tuchel leave him on the bench. Uh, I, you know, and I think that somebody is going to, somebody is going to have to miss out. Uh, and... At this moment in time, based on form and the fact that he's somebody who is very, very effective when he gets the ball, particularly in the penalty area, but doesn't add that much to PSG's play outside of the penalty area. You know, somebody like Mauro Riccardi could end up finding himself on the bench, you know, basically a repeat of what we saw against Montpellier. Uh, you know, it depends on how, what his goal scoring form is like in the next couple of weeks, because we know that when Riccardi is scoring goals and is feeling confident, uh, you know, Nine times out of ten, he's going to put the ball on the back of the net when he gets, uh, you know, a scoreable chance inside the box, and it only takes one opportunity for, you know, for PSG to get that vital away goal against Dortmund that would, uh, you know, put them in a position of power. So for me, if I was Tuchel, I'd be considering, uh, you know, maybe starting someone like Icardi on the bench and bringing him on in the second half, uh, and, you know, and trying to find some way to have Sarabia. Di Maria in the in in the team, and then obviously uh, you know leading with uh, with Neymar and, uh, and Mbappe. That's interesting that you would go a little bit more defensive, just going off of what Dortmund would do with Halan. I mean, he's scoring at a ridiculous rate. But um, as I've kind of noted on Twitter a few times, I mean, he's kind of feeding off of Bundesliga bottom feeders right now. He's never really gone up against the quality of defenders that PSG uh, will bring to the table, and I wonder if just playing our normal back line, back four that we've had, you know, maybe even Marquinhos and Silva at center back and Idrissi Gay and Verratti. And I think if you just go with that, the fantastic four, 
th- those players are, are so much better than any attackers that Dortmund have, and especially now with Marco Royce uh, out injured, at least for the first leg. I wonder if in that first leg you could just blow them away and just have this entertaining wide-open game and maybe you ship two goals, but maybe you score four, you know, and then the tie is basically over. You got four away goals or something like that. I do always find myself thinking that when people are talking about Haaland as if it's a reason for, for PSG to be scared. I mean, we saw Meunier and his comments after yeah. the dog the other day. Uh, I mean, I kind of agree with him a bit. I mean, I'm, I don't agree with him in that, you know, he's, he's saying he doesn't know too much about Haaland. I think <laughs> anyone following European football knows what, what this guy is capable of yeah. at his current confident uh, streak that he has. Uh, but, you know, I think also at the same time, how many times have, have Dortmund come up against a team that can boast the the attacking strength that PSG do, you know, Bayern Munich even, you know, don't have, uh, you know, as much firepower as PSG do. So I think that's something that their defence, which is not, uh, you know, watertight, uh, you know, is going to, uh, uh, you know, is, is going to struggle to to keep a lid on. I mean, the other thing that's going to play into this, and you know, again, it's that age-old problem that PSG have, is the mentality when they face. Uh, you know, a club that lives for these big European nights. You know, when they face up to the yellow wall, mm-hmm. uh, you hear the West Farmer Stadion creating a ridiculous amount of noise that they don't hear too often domestically. You know, is that going to intimidate the players or is that going to spur them on and, and make them want to, to perform and silence the home crowd? Uh, you know, that's, you know, we're, we're going to have to see how Tuchel prepares them for that. But considering the time that he spent there as coach, you'd have to think that's one of the first things that he's really drilling into his players right now and will want them to, uh, you know, sort of, um, uh, they'll get a good taste of it, obviously, when, when Leon comes to town this weekend, because it always guarantees a, a you know, a fiery atmosphere. Uh, but it's going to be another level up when it's Champions League away at Dortmund. Uh, you know, fan passion doesn't really come any stronger than it does there. So it's, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of variables at play. I mean, I see the logic as well in, in what you said about just going with, uh, with the regular starting eleven. Uh, you know, and this is where Tuchel earns his pay. You know, is he going to be able to create a, a tactic that's going to be able to, to, to get PSG a positive result? Uh, and is he going to be able to manage the, the condition of his players well enough to, to, to get his strongest 11 possible out on the pitch for that game? I honestly don't know how he's sleeping. I mean, there's so much riding on advancing, you know, the future of Mbappe at the club, future of Neymar at the club, his future. I mean, there's, there's so much on the line with this. I, I don't know how he sleeps. It must keep him up late at night. It's always high stakes. I mean, since the days that PSG were regulars in the quarterfinals in the Champions League, it's always been, you know, you sort of reach February, March time and, you know, the pressure goes up a notch or two. And, you know, now because of the, you know, the continued setbacks against the likes of Barca, Real and then uh, Manchester United, it's, you know, it's more important than ever that PSG finally, you know, break through that that barrier. You know, it's going to be, it will do so much for the, the collective belief, I think, to actually definitively put some of that mess behind them and actually get to the quarterfinals for the first time in years. We were talking before we started recording that, you know, you, you are a fan of PSG. You had a season ticket. I know when these big games come up, I get butterflies and I'm nervous as hell. And when it doesn't go our way, I just feel sick. Talk to me. You're, you're hoping to be at the game in Dortmund. I mean, do you get those butterflies? Or, I mean, is it, do you still get that incitement as a fan or are you just there strictly business covering what's going on? I wouldn't say I get the excitement as a fan any uh, really these days, but then again, even even when I'm watching Villa, I don't get that same buzz anymore. I think I've just been 
uh, sort of I'm, I'm sort of numb numb to that these days because I just spend so much time watching football. Uh, you know, I think if I was to take a break from it and come back to it, you know, maybe that buzz does come back. But for me, I watch you know I try to watch football objectively, uh, and you know you don't sort of have as much room for for that sort of sentiment. But what I will say is there's there's very little that competes with big European nights like that, and especially when you're going somewhere. Uh, you know, where you're experiencing the atmosphere for the first time, like, for example, you know, I've, I've, I've been to to Naples, to Belgrade, uh, you know, to, to United, but not in a non-Premier League context. Uh, you know, it's, you know, Bruges uh, as well earlier this season. You know, nothing really competes with being in those kind of, uh, you know, atmospheres. And, you know, I think it's... Uh, it's it's unlike anything else. That's why people put such importance on the Champions League because it creates uh, you know an atmosphere of its own and it's uh, you know it, it gives you that buzz. Whether or not you're you know you're supporting either of the teams that you're that you're watching that night, it's very difficult not to be immersed uh, in the atmosphere that unfolds in the stadium. Yeah, well, that is. I think that's a, an excellent note to end on. Um, let let folks know listening how they can find you on Twitter. I get all kinds of DMs, by the way, asking me, what are some good people to follow on Twitter? And I always point them your direction. So if anyone's listening to this, let them know how to find you on Twitter. And if you're working on any exciting pieces, uh, go ahead and give us a plug. Yeah, thanks a lot. I always, uh, always appreciate having uh, new followers along. I mean, the, be- the best place to find me and where people will find my work or uh, you know, uh, various pieces of interest for, for PSG followers and followers of Ligue 1 as well and, uh, and the French national team is is obviously on Twitter. So at John, J-O-N underscore Legosib, uh, which, uh, as you asked me earlier, I'll, I'll explain now, is uh, it, it was a column that I was given by Sky Sports way back in the day at the beginning of the, the Qatari era when I returned to Paris as a as a, an aspiring French football journalist, uh, so that's where that's where the Legosip uh, part of my my Twitter handle comes from. So people can find me there, and uh, you know they'll be able to find my work from there. Fantastic. Well, we'll catch up with you uh, hopefully after the Dortmund match. We'll break that all down. And uh, again, thank you as always for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks so much. Oh, pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me on, and speak soon. Okay, guys. <laughs>